What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you're tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you guys again for tuning in. We just tipped off our 51st episode. We've made it past 50. I will say that that is an accomplishment in my eyes, and I'm happy about it. First things first, follow me on Twitter at It's Intuition. Follow my man behind the board, Ben Shim, making the shit sound buttery at I Am Database, based with two S's, and follow us as a unit. At That's Kinda Neat, where I barely tweet, but you can see when every episode is posted because that is the first place that I post it at. Facebook.com slash Kinda Neat. I feel like we need to fuck with our Facebook page more. What I want you guys to start doing is like Photoshop shit of like stories and stuff. Like if somebody says something funny, visualize it and make some art and post it. Make funny things. Make me laugh because that page is boring as fuck. So do something cool. If not, oh well, it'll just be boring and people will keep liking it because people just like shit on Facebook randomly. YouTube.com slash that's kind of neat where we are on our way to 10,000 subscribers and we appreciate every one of you guys that is checking in on the videos every week. Go through, watch them this week. You know, we're, I think we're at 40 videos now. Just like go watch like five of your favorites today and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes uh, search for kind of neat on your podcast app or if you don't like iTunes use Stitcher leave some comments five star ratings tell us that you're fucking with us and we appreciate it uh, I'm going to continue on with some embarrassing stories because they're fun I think this one's pretty gross it looks long but I'm going to read it I remember it being funny so it goes like this I was traveling around South America for a few months back when I was 22. This is not me, by the way. This is a, a guy sent this to me and was headed up from Argentina to Brazil. When I finally got back to Brazil, I got really sick. Same old stomach story and decided to purchase an ornamental plate from the Amazonia region of Brazil for my father. Fast forward a week or so and I'm back home now in Calgary, Alberta. You're kind of putting yourself on blast, but that's okay. You're Canadian. I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> I have to mail this plate to Vancouver Island where my father lives, which is a province over. If Canadian geography isn't your strong suit, it's not. It's nobody in America's strong suit. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you guys, Canada. I fuck with you. Uh, one night, my girlfriend and I are going at it. And when I finish, I throw the condom into a nondiscreet plastic bag on my floor. I'm assuming it's probably a 7-Eleven bag or some other empty byproduct of my cluttered nature. So I mail this plate to my father and I get a call about a week later. And it's him telling me he loves the plate and really appreciates that I would take the time and energy to bring it back for him. He then proceeds to tell me very nonchalantly... I don't know what I'm going to do with this used condom, though. <laughs> yep, a classic case of throwing your used condom in the same bag that you're mailing your father a province over scenario. My heart dropped into my stomach, uh, and he proceeds to make fun of me relentlessly while I'm riddled with pure embarrassment. He even descriptively explains how his girlfriend pulled it out of the bag and examined it. Unnecessary piece of information, on my opinion. So I mailed my father a used condom over a thousand kilometers away, effectively dissolving the comparative validity of any future awkward moments. No shame anymore. We're closer now than ever. Hey, good use of big words at the end there. I appreciate that summary. And that was a fucking pretty disgusting and funny story. And um, I always try to like match story for story. And I don't know if mine really has that embarrassing of an end, but I do know that I certainly have a used condom story. When I was 18... I had finished my freshman year of college. I was still in Alaska. And uh, after living in the dorms that summer, I moved back home. I was living at home for the summer before I moved to California for the first time. And an awesome thing happened to me that summer. I had kind of just hit my final growth spurt, I think. And I went from being like an immature looking boy to like an immature, fully grown man. And so I was like, I'd put on probably a good 15 or 20 pounds uh, working out and stuff. It was mostly beer belly, but we'll say it was working out. 
and uh, I looked older. I had sprouted some facial hair, maybe a little chest hair or something, and uh, I was looking good. I was looking good, and and this girl who was when I was a freshman, she was a junior, and she was the cheerleading captain of my high school. She was like every dude's dream girl at my school. She had this amazing body with these huge amazing uh, eyes. She had really nice eyes and she came back to visit and she was going to be staying for the summer. And, um, one of my good friends had hooked up with her when he was like a freshman and she was a junior. And it was like, he was like the talk of the town. It was like, Oh my God, did you hear? Like he hooked up with her, you know, it's crazy. So he's like thinking that he's going to be able to hook up with her again now that she's back visiting. But we go out drinking the first night that she's home and, uh, we end up at some diner, later that night and she ends up sitting next to me and under the table she's like rubbing my leg and shit and she's like she's on it and she's like about to turn 21 and I'm like had just turned 18 and uh I'm telling my friends as we're walking to the car the one friend was still kind of like convinced he's like yeah you know I think I got this in the bag like I'm gonna be able to like hook up with her again like maybe I'll get to smash now and da 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 and I'm like I don't know bro like she was rubbing my leg under the table and they're all going yeah right yeah right no way Shane or da 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 and lo and behold like two nights later we go out drinking again and I end up like making out with her and doing other things in a basement with her at a party and then about a week later she lets me smash and it was amazing and I end up hooking up with this girl for the rest of the summer and like I'm saying this was the girl that I dreamed about when I was a freshman when I was in eighth grade I used to like go to football games just to watch her cheerlead it was like that it was really like some rom-com like coming of age shit that summer and so to this day well no not to this day because I have I have slept with other girls in this bed since then but I had never slept with a girl in the bed that I grew up in at that time. And so she comes over to the house one night and we have sex in my bed and we christened this bed that I grew up on, my double bed. We used a condom and I threw it in a Pittsburgh Steelers trash can and it sat at the bottom of that trash can with no trash bag in it. Over the summer, it was a trash can that didn't get used very often. Over the summer, you know, little scraps of paper got thrown in there and it was eventually covered up to where it was sitting at the bottom and there was a bunch of scraps of paper and shit. And then I moved away to California and I forgot to clear that garbage bag out as I moved. And then I went back the next summer and that trash can was still kind of in the same place and I still never emptied it. And then finally, I think the next summer when I moved back to California for good and never returned home to live again... My mom cleared out that trash can and was like, yeah, I was cleaning your room and I emptied the trash can and there was something really gross at the bottom. And so there was like a fucking used condom that had been sitting in a trash can for two years. And I don't know what something that like that looks like. Like, I I would imagine that like maybe a human was growing in it. Like, dude, I, I don't know if cells just start to multiply and perhaps there was like some little alien baby formed in there or something. But I was mortified. I thought it was fucking disgusting that she had to see that. But it just kind of like she flipped it upside down and I'm sure it just landed on the top of the trash uh, of the garbage bag she was dumping it into. It is probably fucking horrible. And so I'm sorry about that. But um, that just goes to show that you should always have creepy crushes on the girl that's older than you that cheerleaders or something because maybe she'll let you fuck when you... I don't know. Maybe she'll let you fuck after you get chest hair. Who knows? Anyways, thank you for your embarrassing stories. That was very funny and gross. And uh, yeah, 
we're going to get into the conversation with my man, Elvin Estella, who you guys might know as DJ Nobody, uh, who's one of the founding members of Low End Theory. He's a dude that I've known for many years, and he's just like the jolly high fucking DJ at Low End that will kick it with you and talk, and he's hilarious, and he collects sneakers now, and um, we take pictures of him for his Instagram, but he's just a cool guy, and we, we had a really good time conversing, and I don't know. I think it was cool like to learn a lot of insight about the independent hip-hop scene in LA, which is like one of my favorite topics to cover when we're in here and uh you know hopefully you guys have a good time listening so without further ado here is my conversation with my man dj nobody got some new sneakers yesterday didn't you i did man yeah i did that's your new obsession yeah, that's my new uh, record collecting thing to do. Yeah. Have you always been a collector? I have. I have always been a collector since I was a kid. When I was a kid, I collected baseball cards from like 10 yeah, till about too. 13. What was your brand? Upper Deck? Upper Deck and Donruss and Tops. Yeah, I like Tops. I would I like, just buy Tops the whole series. I felt like um, Tops was like the normal kid shit and Upper Deck was the rich kid shit. Exactly. But the Upper Deck shit was like Versace cards. You know, Dude, they're really yeah, nice. they had the fancy, <laughs> they have like hologram cards The and silver shit. shit on the back. They were really nice, man. Yeah, you still got a lot of Upper Decks? I mean, you still got a lot of baseball cards? Or I what? kept them all. Yeah, I still have them. It's a pity they're not worth, you know, right? anything. I felt like my dad, instead of like putting away money in smart places, he would like buy a shit tons of baseball cards. Like, yeah, man, this is this like is the stock market. Be, yeah. this is, these are going to be worth so much money. And I have all these cards that at one point were worth money and now they ain't worth shit. It definitely was that for them. Cause I think it was around that time that that Honus Wagner card went for yeah. like, $110,000. So every dad in America was like, I think, oh, we got to start collecting baseball cards. I mean, I cards. feel like it went for a million at one point. When Gretzky bought it, it was over a million. I'm sure now, yeah. Yeah, fucking baseball cards. What else so there's people out there like, these guys are fucking geeks. Who the <laughs> fuck is Honus Wagner? I have a rap about Honus Wagner. Oh, that's sick. I said Honus Wagner with a ton of swagger. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's like, what is that? Um, yeah, man. When did sneakers become your thing? Early last year, I'm definitely of the new bandwagon breed that all of the original heads hate. But I just feel like it's the karma for when I was when I was collecting records and then things started getting reissued. Yeah. I felt the same way. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I just spent $200 on that record. Yeah. And now they're all out again for $20. And like any kid with, you know, with bangs can buy the same record. And that sucks. Yeah. And so now I'm I'm one of these new kids that piss off the old breed of sneaker collectors. Like, look at this guy just buy this new shit and, you know, fuck that. The new materials are terrible. Like, yeah. Now, guess what? They were made for a dollar back then. They were made for a dollar now. Same shit. Mm -hmm. you're, you're going through, like, another teenage renaissance, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, pretty much. I'm even listening to shit from my, like, single-digit years. Yeah, yeah. It's like you went from, like, crazy psychedelic sets to, like, now just the fucking trap bangers the that trap. are out on uh, live yeah. mixtapes every day. <laughs> I, well, I kind of toned that down now, and I'm kind of, like, doing well you know i've been playing a lot of like r&b stuff and then you know some of that old banger stuff yeah and some more just mellower shit yeah where are you from dude i'm from carson california from where the booyah tribe and raz cause are from and daddy kev and da no no daddy kev's from lamita he told me today that his family is in carson 
But he said back in the day it was called something city, Holby City. Harbor City? Harbor City. Yeah. But well, now it's officially uh Oh, you know what? East I think, Carson. Yeah, I think he's right. It was Harbor City back in the day. Is that what happened? Harbor City became East Carson? Something like that because of Holy like re um district rezoning. Yeah, exactly. I had no idea. So I guess him and I are technically from Carson now. I was definitely from uh I guess that would be the east side of Carson. So you you're born uh in Carson? Born in Torrance because there's no hospitals in Carson. Okay. And the then, same shit, South yeah, Bay. South, South Bay. Bay. Yep. Yeah. Lifelong Los Angelino. Yep. Yeah. LA was like, uh, if you grew up in Carson, LA was like the shit. You know, yeah. like you wanted to go there every weekend. Yeah. Cause it's kind of LA, but not quite LA. It's definitely not LA. You know, it's like a suburb for real. It's one of those places where people go, oh, yeah, I'm, vi- I'm visiting LA from out of state. And you're like, oh, what part are you staying in? And then they're like, oh, I'm in Orange County. It's like, motherfucker, you ain't in LA. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it is, we were, Two and three at one point. Yeah, true. (laughs) Both sides of the family Filipino? No, my dad is from Puerto Rico. He's Puerto Rican. Oh, so you Puerto Rican Filipino? Mm -hmm. Bruno Mars style. Oh, I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know. (laughs) Your laugh is going to kill me this whole whole podcast. Uh, (laughs) uh, Your parents born here too? No, my dad was born in Puerto Rico. My mom was born in the Philippines and they met in North Carolina. How did in that the army, in the army. Oh, yeah. military, huh? Yeah, they both got out of their respective situations. Like, oh, the army, that's a free way to America. If you're born in the Philippines, how do you end up in the American army? You know what? I never asked her that. I think she moved to America first. Yeah. And then after she had been here, because I think she moved here as a late teenager. And then when she was 19, she decided to bounce. No shit. Uh, my dad's military too. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I ended up in Alaska. So your parents already got out by the time they, uh, hooked up and had you. They met in the army and then they moved out here. Cause my grandma's family was, was based in, in Carson. And then that's where they just, you know, took root. That's where it was on and cracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got siblings? Nope. Only child, man. Only child Pisces Scorpio rising. So I'm on a really far pole. See, know? that's what you and I, that's why we get along good because <laughs> our, our Zodiac signs sync, bro. Mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. mom's a Pisces, but I also am very like down with Scorpios as a cancer, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, my dad's a cancer. That explains everything. Yeah. That's why I've just always <laughs> sudden you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, that's it. <laughs> oh. it. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so that's. That's where, you know, it all happened in Carson. But the only child, did you have a lot of extended family around? Cousins and I shit? I didn't. I didn't because my mom's sister was also young and so was her brother. So they didn't even have kids until I was like 10. So for the first 10 years, it was just me and my imagination. Yeah. So were you a lonely kid then? Uh, I don't, I didn't feel lonely, but I guess in retrospect, if you don't, well, I, you don't feel lonely unless you're like. Every time that I've had somebody on that goes, it was just me and my imagination, which is a lot of people. That's the thing is now that we've been doing this for so long, I'm starting to see themes with people, you know? And one of the themes is kids go, oh, yeah, I was like an only child and it was just me and my imagination. And then they're kind of like, I was very lonely and I didn't have a lot of friends. No, I had a lot of friends. And you know what? Now that I think back on it, my dad was like, was always like around as like a sibling. Yeah. He was also young and you know i was learning about life through him yeah so yeah. I, I was never lonely in that sense what did but he do he was an accountant for the state he retired already oh okay he did that all his life yeah and yeah it was cool i wasn't lonely at all which side of the child. family's food do you prefer 
Oh man, that is the toughest question ever asked. That's a, that's I hard. can't even answer it to be honest. Just pitting the families against each other. Just because like... both sides have such great dishes, yeah, yeah, that I just couldn't pick one. I right. mean, and they're not even similar at all, you know. Yeah, I've always associated with you with like this eclectic taste in music, and so were, were the folks musical. Did you grow up around a lot of crazy music? Yeah, my dad was a big salsa freak. That's all he listened to. Yeah. They didn't listen to classic rock. They didn't really listen to Western music, uh. you know, except for like what was super popular. So Thriller made its way into the house. And Oh, I bet you fucking went apeshit for Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. And Cyndi Lauper. Yeah. Um, like those, th- those records made their way in, but very little else. Like no Beatles, no Led Zeppelin, like most kids. Yeah. But lots of salsa. Um, can you dance? Mm, I guess I can. I don't know. Shit. I, I like to. I don't. I don't know if I can. I like to, but you know, no, not like no one was musical until I found out that my dad's dad was a guitar player. Oh, really? But other than that, no one else in his family pursued music. And on my mom's side, same thing. Yeah. When did the music bug hit you then? Hmm. Probably like early high school. That's yeah. when it went from like, I like listening to this shit to I want to make figure out how to make this shit. I think that like one moment you know like the moment of yeah, clarity is sure. when uh my aunt gave me a box of 45s right and i was super into x clan and i was super into de la soul and they both sampled uh is it knee deep they both sampled knee deep right and so, oh, so I, you were finding samples and that was like oh yeah I'll... so when i heard the 45 for knee deep and i heard the parts from uh, both de la soul me myself and i yeah. and x clan it just blew my mind my so I would try to do these uh, pause edit tapes where I would try to recreate the beat from the 45 and it was mm-hmm. just fucking impossible. Yeah. So I was like, there's a machine that does where you this. can do this. And then uh, sophomore year, my friend worked. Uh, I don't think it was called Nam back then. It was some other kind of Nam-esque event. Yeah. And he was only 16. This freak, he... For the he, layman, Nam is the place where they like uh, premiere all the new... All the new electronic Electronic shit. technology mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. music, right? Yeah, but this was... Uh, Filipino the, heaven. Yeah, will. pretty much. Yeah. DJ like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, so he worked at this NAM type event and he ended up making enough money and got a deal on this sampler called the Roland DJ 70. Oh, yeah. Which is what I used up until like 2007 or 2008. But yeah, we took the shit back to his house. We figured out how to plug the mixer into it yeah. and the first time that we sample something like literally like your fucking mind just explodes out of the back of your head when you can just you start hear to figure the same out the, sound. the loop yeah. yeah and we would just like you know take like public enemy beats that we liked and just loop the one part that you know was instrumental yeah just do shit like that and experimented with four tracks and stuff yeah for sure even before that you say you were like into de la soul and next clan and stuff mm-hmm. like that like mm-hmm. what was the first rap that struck you is that the first music that struck you no I'd say the first music that struck me, and it's funny because I've been listening to a lot of it again, is like the electro sort of pop stuff, you know, yeah. like Expose and Lisa Lisa. Yeah, like and, freestyle uh, shit. Freestyle that? shit. Yeah. And it was funny because one day DJ Shadow was at my house and somehow the Miami edit thing came up, you know, and Expose is like deeply hidden in my fucking guilty pleasure closet. Yeah. And he's like casually, he's like, yeah, there's this Expose single that has this one of the most amazing edits ever done. And I was like, what does that mean? Miami edit. What is they that? used to take the tape, you know, uh, the two track and these guys would go into a studio and they would just chop the tape up into a, like a gnarly edit of the original song. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah. 
And then I was like, dude, did you just say expose? He's like, yeah. I was like, fuck, man. That was like my favorite group when I was eight. You know, I don't yeah. ever tell anybody I like that group. And he's like, no, they had a, before they blew up, uh, they had, I think he said exposure was their name or something. They actually had a private press 12 inch that had this B side yeah. that was the, like a gnarly edit track. And it just like, I was like, fuck. You know, yeah. that's crazy yeah. to think that the shit that I was into as a kid actually has some weird I love, relevance I to I love that stuff. you just casually drop like, yeah, one time DJ Shadow was at my house. Not to name drop, but I'm mean, no, trying that's to an correlate. Am- but that's a fucking amazing name drop, though. Like, it didn't sound snobby. It just sounded <laughs> awesome. But it is amazing to be around that guy because I was such a fan of introducing and now to say that shit and to actually have him at my house and... You know, he doesn't get freaked out when I ask him questions like, hey, you know that piano right there? Yeah. Where did you find that? Yeah, yeah. He's like, that, these are actually good questions, you know? Yeah. Like, cool. That's dope. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, my, I don't know if you've ever met uh, Mark, my producer, but he fucking is like a DJ Shadow fanatic. He would be very jealous of that. Did you ever like play sports as a kid or anything like nah, that? No, it's funny because I've been talking about that lately because I've been watching Freaks and Geeks and been like, dude, I so relate to these guys. Yeah. I liked playing sports. I just didn't think... Uh, this sounds so hippie and stupid, but the competitive part of it is what's lame, you know, like yeah. I just liked doing it. And then once some other kid is like, man, you're not, you're not good at soccer. And I'm like, you know what, man, fuck doing this. Like, yeah. I'm good at graffiti and making fucking beats. Like, yeah. Fuck this. Damn. So you were good at, you were into graffiti and shit. I was into graffiti, but I wasn't really up on walls. Like all my friends was, I was, you know, yeah. scared to get caught and get my dad to kill me. But so I was all about like, drawing. Like I would, you know, do the yearbooks for everybody at the end of the year. You were like, like young that. B-boy. Yeah. I was all at man. Once I got into like, you know what we were talking about, like uh, De La Soul yeah. and X-Clan and Tribe Called Quest. I mean, if you were that age, if you were between 12 and 18, yeah. you we're into that shit. You you were into Tribe Called Quest. You wanted to wear red, black, and green. Everything. Well, and but that was also kind of the that was the alternative at the time too. Kind of in rap music, wasn't it? Yeah, because there, there was kids that were into the gangster shit, and then there was kids yeah. that that was like the alternate hippie movement, kind of. But you got it. I mean, we were into both. Like I love Compton's Most Wanted, and I love Tribe Called Quest. But I think fashion wise, we gravitated more towards. You know, like the, I, I just remember back then dancing was just fucking huge in LA and Carson and Cerritos and they all adopted that like style of like, you know, the Tribe Called Quest, the fucking polka dot shirts. Yeah. So we were all into that. But I must say that like once like 91, 92 hit, the gangster shit just like exploded. It, it like erased that. Like it was a memory. You know yeah. what I mean? And, Carson- and then when you see your, the groups like UMCs and Das Effects kind of take on this like gangster and yeah. then even hammer, hammer. everyone the, the ha- whole thing i was gonna say hammer went gangster the whole thing literally like overnight yeah flipped yeah it know? was crazy i remember that i was a couple of years younger than you i think but i mean i remember that and being just kind of like not even understanding what a like what a tryhard was but mm-hmm. thinking like man these guys these guys changed yeah like, this is weird and it <laughs> was know? weird in in carson too because you know it was a very uh carson's pretty dangerous no I mean, looking back on it, when people tell, when I tell them I was from there, they're like, oh, wow, you know, heard it's rough out there. I mean, I guess it is. I never really perceived it that way when I was young. But um, I just tripped out on how things that were illegal became trendy because at first all the kids were into, you know, the culture of what was happening in the city because it was about dancing. Mm -hmm. And then all of those kids became taggers. Mm. And then all of those kids became gangbangers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how the fuck are things that are like bad for you becoming trendy? You know, mm-hmm. and once the gang shit hit like for real, like 93, I was like, 
I'm not fucking with it. I'm just going to stay in my house. And what were you doing when you're staying in the house? That was the sampling shit? That was when I started making beats and shit and four tracking and stuff. Yeah. I said the same thing to Willie when I had him on, but I was like, every DJ that I've ever met has a story about how they locked themselves in a room for two years and then came out like a, of a, you know, like a butterfly coming cocoon. out of its cocoon. You yeah. Know what I mean, I mean you, you, that's what you do. Because, you know, high school sucks. Being outside and being with those gang motherfuckers sucked. Yeah. So what do you do? You know, you love music. You just sit in your room and you figure out how to make that. You know well, and I mean? the funny thing is being the mix of Puerto Rican and Filipino, like you just look Mexican. And yeah. so I'm sure it was kind of always like, where are you from? Yeah, exactly. I got fucked with no matter what, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. But, you know, what was interesting is once I started like college and these guys saw me carrying gear and shit. They were fine. Like, what? You do music? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. They're like, fuck. We always wondered about you because you never came outside of your house. No shit. Like, yeah, I'm not fucking with you guys, man. Yeah. Like, the one time I did like hang out with those guys, I got so unbelievably stoned at like 16 years old. I'm like, man, I'm not fucking with those guys anymore. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they're all. It was. They were never like you know they're intimidating. They were just you know doing what the fuck they did, and I just knew that I didn't want no part of it. Right, right. But you know, like they say, it's cliche, but music saved my life. <laughs> that, that that makes me want to hug you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> how were you with school? Did you like it? Uh, I did. I liked math a lot. Like I was really into algebra two and pre-calculus. But not algebra. You're like fuck algebra one. No, algebra but one was algebra, hard as fuck. Algebra two, geometry was all right and then i really was into uh chemistry and shit like that but it was hard i liked that and english class but all the other shit like history and things you had to memorize not yeah good at that does music seem mathematical to you almost a little oh bit? yeah definitely now. yeah 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 what was the first stuff that you started sampling i guess it would be like like early 70s jazz yeah you know like pharaoh sanders-esque sort of stuff john clemmer was a big big one because his records are really common and he had open road sections and open flutes and saxophones which you know back then all the beats were that saxes yeah yeah and then yeah mostly that stuff like soulmates is like 70 percent jazz samples like i said we had willie in a couple weeks ago and he had so many good things to say yeah gas lamp was in here and he was just kind of like had nothing but awesome things to say to you how how you like took him under your wings etc cetera, etc cetera. it just made me realize that i think there's a lot about your involvement in the history of the la rap culture that mm-hmm. i didn't really realize cuz i think i always thought that you were younger than you than you might be like that's the thing i thought you were like younger than me for most of the time that i've known you that makes me want to hug you yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so basically i want to start just going through like, take me through the fucking journey to where right. we are today. Well, we're at a pretty good place because now the gang shit's happening and I'm in high school and I'm not trying to fuck around, so. So you lock yourself in your room. and Lock like, yourself w- in your room. That was, like, probably around 16 or 17. And, uh... Did you have a car? Not until I was 18. But, like, around that time, we started sampling, you know, like, breakbeat records and stuff. And some of my high school friends and I started rapping over these beats because i was into rapping yeah. in high school more than i was into beats but i still made the beats. but you just you know? needed something to rap over yeah and yeah. so uh we would do that and then i also met pazuzu watt what was your rap name did you have one? Oh my god i think it was nobody from a very early time really mm-hmm. nice from even back then okay and yeah so i met pazuzu watt and i don't know if people remember this fellow named slant eyes he was a big fucking korean sensation back i've heard then. i've heard of him yeah, yeah he he was pretty much like a superstar on power 106 because they had this like battle thing where you would call 
and rap on the phone. Yeah, on the phone. Right, and he right. would just destroy every week and win movie tickets and concert tickets. And he was kind of like this legend. And I'm like, dude, this guy's from Palos Verdes. That's like right up the street. Yeah. And this is like pre-internet. So how do you find him? Um, my friend at high school was always like, I know, I know Slant Eyes. I know Slant Eyes. That's my homeboy Ted. That's my homeboy Ted. Yeah. This is this dude named Wesley. So eventually I did meet him and I met Pazuzu Watt. They both went to the school in Palos Verdes together and uh, I met the two of them. And then that's when I think it got like serious, you know, yeah. when you go from like just fucking around with your friends to us we're like we're gonna make a tape before we graduate yeah like we're gonna blow up and we just we didn't even think about that we yeah. just wanted to make a tape and have it out before we graduated yeah. so we so did. they were all in high school too you guys are the same age and shit yeah we were all the same age and was it like you meet slant eyes and you're like oh like this dude can really fucking rap he could really like free stuff fellowship rap really? far side rap yeah. you know like off yeah. the top of his head yeah you know but the dude had like a 4.0 and like and did it just make, a fucking brain did it make you want to rap harder or did it make you want to concentrate on beats like you know what i mean was it an probably wanted thing? me to concentrate on beats because yeah. they were so they were both so good and Pazuzu yeah. was also like i mean for being in high school like yeah now that i think about it like the talent between the two of those guys at that age like if someone would have just heard it and you know yeah because yeah. they had a good dynamic together too just as a as a group slant had a really high fucking jokey whiny voice but yeah. you know sometimes he could just kill it uh, and then Pazuzu was just deep and rough. So just the two of them together, a good, just a good contrast. Yeah. Um, I almost feel like in hindsight, I probably could have been a better part of the group by maybe just diving into the beats and helping. Because also the the crazy thing about Slant Eyes, he was the first dude I ever saw make beats on a computer oh. in my life. So it's like 19... 94 what kind would, of computer it was a mac you know he he had a mac one of those he old was a, gray box ones yeah because he was a smart kid so his parents you know blinged him out on a computer so there was this there was this program where you could record audio and it's fucking twisted because you know it takes like someone like just with rock it takes someone to misuse the equipment to make use of it you right know? right so he figured like okay if i sample something and then i take a drum beat and then i time stretch it so it's kind of the same i can then re I can combine those two. So he Make just figured out through trial track. and error, yeah. like turn the, this up. And dude, in hindsight, that shit is crazy to me. Yeah. You know what I mean, cause no one else I knew around me was doing shit like that. And yeah, he made no, it work. No one was thinking about like pro tools back then. No, like, yeah. no, it was, it was fucking wild. And so he made all the beats for that tape that we did in high school on, on that computer. And so you're rapping on that joint. I think I have one solo, like spoken word song. No cause shit. I had the soldier boy syndrome where I was too ahead of the beat. Yeah. Uh, and I think I helped out with a few of the beats too. Yeah. You know, but yeah. What was, was you guys' fun. group name called? Secret Service. The Secret yep. Service. There's a hundred of those tapes out there still. Can you find them on the internet? Nah, that shit, like the people who have them forgot about them or like hold on to it as nostalgia. And if you heard it now, would you be embarrassed? Probably. But you know, whatever. When you're like that young, you're, yeah, at least you're doing something creative. No, you know? for sure. Like there's not a lot of people that can say they were trying to make like you know real quality tapes in high school yeah you know i don't know we were just trying to or like it. at least it back then right. nowadays i'm sure it's very common but that was unheard of back then yeah i mean you had to you know the four track was expensive <laughs> the mics were expensive if ted wasn't a stellar student i'm sure he, the three of us would not have a computer that right. could do some shit like that you right know? so what Transition, happens with the tape when you put it out we just a bunch of friends bought it and that was it yeah and it'd be kind of like and were they fucking with it yeah, yeah, yeah. People played it. They had a song called "Freak of Nature" that was just them two. That to this day is still like a great fucking song. Yeah, yeah. And then you know they went off to college, so then we kind of just stopped kicking it. And then so 
that's when I met Omid, who bought, at that point made music as OD. And that was the first time I heard an instrumental record was from him. Wait, who is o- what crew is Omid from? Omid's just Omid. Just Omid? <laughs> yeah, okay. he's part of the Good Life crew, though. Like, he helped put together the, the Good Life documentary oh, okay, and okay, stuff. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I know that name. Um, yeah, like, literally was in a car next to him and heard, you know, just the beat. Like, no raps, nothing. And was like, what is that? He's you like, were in a car next to him, like, in traffic or something? No, 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 oh. the Good Life. Oh, okay, Good Life, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. And he's like, oh, my, my friend Ebo and I sell these beat tapes. I'm like, beat tapes? What the fuck is uh. a beat tape? You know? So I go to the, the Good Life tape counter where Fish and Ebo are at. And uh, there's an Ebo and OD tape. So I buy it. And at first I was like, what the fuck? Like, there's no rapping. This is so fucking weird. Yeah. But then you get used to it and it just starts being the thing. And then. And that's in 95? That's 90. 94? Yeah, that was 95. Because what? Uh, Shadow's record never really came out till 96, 96, right? Yeah. So the whole first year, it was uh, Omid and Ebo's tape and also CVE, Chillin' Villain Empire. Yeah. They had beat CDs and beat tapes. How did you find out about the good life? Okay, this is a funny story. See, it's funny because like motherfuckers like, oh, you're all about clothes. I've always been into clothes, even since I was fucking little. You know, I'm at the clothing shop at the Delamo Mall. The coolest dude at the store is like, I'm going to go see Freestyle Fellowship tonight. Just the alliteration of that word or the words. Yeah. You're like, oh, that rolls off the tongue. The fucking vibe. I'm like, Freestyle Fellowship wrote that shit down, you know. Really? And, And then went to the warehouse and all they had was the Hot Potato single. And I just was like, I'm not going to spend $7 on some shit I never heard. So I'm just going to wait. Yeah. And then I remember hearing Hot Potato on the Power 106 battle thing. They would do like song battles. Exactly. And was like, damn, this shit is crazy. Still didn't get me, you know, but I'm only like 15, I think. And then eventually I got the tape. Yeah. The Freestyle Fellowship tape. And around the same time. um, Souls of Mischief 93 till Infinity came out. Right. And so that was like part two kaboom huge i mean literally you know how i was saying that that other shit erased gangster shit that shit erased gangster shit and like everything completely it was like i'm gonna start over from like this being the uh being the new standard you know yeah it's gotta be as good as freestyle fellowship and souls of mischief for me to even fuck with it right and the only east coast records i fucked with were wu-tang clan black moon and the ilk you know yeah but uh, for me it was just about freestyle fellowship and then I remember me, Slant, and Pazuzu, I got uh, To Whom It May Concern from Omid, and I brought it to him. And I remember t- uh, Slant was like, nah, this is their new shit, because this can't be their old shit. This is better than, than Inner City Grio. I'm like, yeah. no, this is the old shit. And we were fucking mind blown. Whoa. And it just, dude, from that point, from like 96 to 2000, it was just LA underground shit. Like, I would just beg Omid for... Tons of AC Alone and yeah. Donja K and Medusa and f- figures of speech songs that were never released. Yeah. And just listen to those songs like a million fucking times. So h- how did you uh, go from hearing the Hot Potato single to being like, oh, I need to find this fucking cafe and go here? I bought uh, Inner City Grio eventually and then it just became like the tape I wore out. You know, oh, you know what also kind of preluded that or like led up to that was uh, 
Bizarre Ride. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bizarre yeah. Ride was, like, the coolest record in LA, yeah. like, yeah. by far. Yeah, and see, the funny thing is, like, Bizarre Ride actually made it up to where I was, where Freestyle Fellowship never really made it up mm-hmm. to Alaska. I mm-hmm. never heard about that shit until I got to college, almost. And uh, whereas, like, Bizarre Ride to the Far Side, they had, like, MTV videos, yeah. and, like, they were... They that were, was definitely the most mainstream act that was that ever dropped the good life. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. Up until that point, at least. Yeah, totally. So then I was just like, okay, so the, my favorite record you know, is made by these dudes just like up the 110. Right. I need to go up there. Right. So this sounds like some shit that motherfuckers might make up for a book or something, but literally the day that I got my license, I fucking drove to The Good Life and I bought the Project Blow tape and I got in mad fucking trouble. Why? Because my dad's one rule is like, you can't drive after dark. Oh. And I think it was like daylight savings or some shit, but I was like, man, fuck that. I need to get this tape yeah you know yeah and it was the last one you know and fish sold it to me and i'm mad intimidated i didn't even stay i just bought the tape and went and drove back home right so you didn't even get to watch the show you didn't even get to see what the good life was about you just went to buy the tape i just bought the tape and drove home wow that's dedication yep and i thought that the shit like i thought my tape deck was broken because that first beat is so crazy that yeah i was like what the fuck (laughs) yeah and that shit like you know, that's the thing is when you're that young and you hear shit just escalate like that, you're like, they went from inner city to this in like a year. Like these guys are fucking crazy. Right, you know? right. And my friends and I wanted nothing more than to make music as dope as those dudes. Uh-huh. You know? So then you hear that tape and it's like just a game changer for you again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you're like, I got to go back to the good life. Yep. And then once. So did you have to start sneaking out? No, because now by this time I graduated high school. Okay. And I, I think I only caught the last like two or three months of the good life before they moved it to project bloat. Yeah. And then they moved it to project bloat and I was there at the project bloat from like 96 to, to 99. Like what, every what, Thursday. what was it like at good life? Were you going as a fan? Were you trying to participate? Like I was just going as a fan, but you know, through meeting Omid, he was actually working with, um, OMD, who was two Mex and, and Cholo Lencinco. And yeah. he was working with of Mexican descent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and he was working with LA cool and rifle man he had just kind of started working with cv so although i was there as a fan i met him and he was you know really friendly and and was and made beats which i did at the time too so we kind of connected and i was like damn maybe i could start working with these dudes too and then eventually we started collaborating on beats and that was the first through him is how i first collaborated with uh it was crazy because the first thing that i did with him featured like all those guys yeah you know he he ended up having like a lockout at this studio at Dominguez Hills because he went to school there. So we had this one beat that the CVE guys were like, yeah, we want to fuck with that beat. And you were making them on four tracks or what? We were making them on... We made those on my sampler because his sampler... That was the Roland you were talking about? Or what did you say it was? Yeah, the Roland DJ7. He had like an N-Sonic EPS and I think he could... He could do the beat live onto a four track but he couldn't necessarily sequence. But on mine... It had a sequencer, but it was real time. You couldn't uh, you couldn't quantize it, so right. you had to hit every motherfucker perfect. But, oh yeah, because I was mad nerdy. I figured out a way that if you had every sample the same length, uh-huh. they would all keep staying in time. Uh. So we made this one beat that way. And Fish and Red were like, "Yeah, we'll fuck with this beat." We all met at Dominguez Hills. It was crazy. It was all of them? It was all CVE Hip Hop Clan? Kinky was there. Uh, it was Tara was still mad young, and he was even on there. 
and yeah, and from that point on, I started working with Cool. And yeah, if you guys are listening and like all of this sounds like a different language to you, go watch the Good Life documentary because it's amazing and it will kind of explain everything that nobody's talking about, literally and figuratively. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's 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 uh, I mean, it just really shows a lot about the history of LA rap in general and like this small little subculture that affected so many people. You know what it's, I mean? It's interesting because it was like I mean. It was the first like underground hip hop like movement. Yeah, and I mean LA it started affecting it started it started yeah. affecting like mainstream culture because like all the nine hundred two one zero kids were hanging out and mm-hmm. like it was on uh, Moesha or some shit yeah. right or and, something like that. But also even musically like uh, just the way it stemmed down from like you know like even Shadow and them shouting out the LA underground on their releases of Soul Sides. You know, it's mm-hmm. like oh so they so those guys are listening to us. Yeah, yeah. And then not to mention the famous, like, fucking accusation of bone-stealing freestyle fellowships oh, and yeah. shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, all that comes later. conflict. And yeah, all, all that, those yeah. guys. So, yeah, the Good Life documentary will explain a lot. So, that's your first time working with all these dudes. And then you kind of became a staple in that whole scene. Like, you were one of the dudes making a lot of the beats, right? Yeah, yeah. during that time, Omid and I had a, kind of had it on lock for a minute, along with CVE. Um, a lot of the songs never got released, though. They were just, the, you know, on tape that would just go around. And they were all kind of, were they all, like, jazzy records, kind of? Um, I think by this point, we were both into sampling more spacey sort of things that still kind of had a jazz edge. But dude, you know what's really weird? I wish that we could, uh, we could remix some of these old songs, but we were doing like that, you know, 70 BPM double time. Oh yeah. You know, we were doing that already then because we were all influenced by this dude on the project Blow Tape named DGAC. Uh huh. You know, he did that, this beat called Strength of ATU and it was... It was basically a Timberland beat from like nineteen. It was like a halftime beat that half-time people were like beat. double timing to. Yeah, and yeah. so like we just like bit that drum pattern yeah. over and over and over. And again. like that's the hard. That's like the hottest shit right now. Yeah, I mean, everybody's doing halftime. Yeah, beats. now when you yeah. hear that, you're like, damn, we were doing that, but we were doing it on drum machines and the shit. Just you know, didn't have the syncopation that the new shit has. Were, now. You, were you doing like hi hats on the sixteenth notes? No, and that's shit like the that? same. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't the hi hat shits weren't fast. We yeah, were, we were more like down with it. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Most of the beats were like that, and these guys were just rapping fast as fuck, so you didn't even want to have too much on the shit anyway, you know? Yeah. Cool, just be ripping through it. Yeah. When does, like, record collecting become an obsession? Then the Shadow, DJ Shadow, is, like, the next, like, you know... In 96, he 96, dro- he that drops, shit dropped. Yeah. Omid actually turned me on to Shadow as well, and he gave me this one song. I think it's called... Uh, it's on the What Do you, What Does Your Soul Look Like? Yeah. I have this kind of theory about Shadow where it's like, and I've said it before, like it's probably somewhat sacrilegious to say, but I don't know if the the record aged well enough to where kids that are like into fucking, you know, trap EDM or whatever is fucking hot this week uh, would like listen to that and understand how revolutionary it was because it, now it sounds like not not basic, but I mean, it sounds like. So many people have tried to emulate it. Well, a lot of the things that kids are listening for now is like the technique. You yeah. know what I mean? And so if back then the technique was just successfully marrying two or three sounds and programming drums that sounded live. Yeah. And we were all impressed it by it insane. today. They're like, oh, no, I need to hear 30-second note hi-hats that and and, drop and, from And at hell. the time, no one had thought to drop an instrumental hip-hop album. Yeah, that was just like completely an like album. That. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It was a record that made sense with no words over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, the once I heard that... You know, it was also kind of as influential on me that same time was this record that DJ Hive did called uh, Working With Sound. Uh-huh. And my friend Carlos Nino was involved with that record, too. And it just went from like, like I said, we were kind of programming these like 70 BPM, more digital beats. 
then you hear shadow and you know the hive stuff and it's more organic sounds like a band almost uh-huh. and then my ear just got more attracted to that yeah so i became more into like you know trying to recreate things that sounded more organic you know what i mean like the drums could be live and things and then you know uh introducing was a huge influence and that's pretty much soulmates is like a is like an homage to to introducing although at the time i was young and very arrogant and would never admit to it right right dude are you kidding me like yeah of course so where were you traveling throughout the city to go find records at the place that i hit the most when i was young was this place called oh damn what was it called it was in torrance there was a whole bunch of record stores back in the day second time around yeah it was on sepulveda i remember i would buy a lot of my shit there and then um, I would go to Rhino Records in Westwood. Dusk used to work there. Uh, rest in peace. That was great. He turned me on a lot of stuff there, man. They used to have dollar sales, and he'd just be like, son, people are sleeping. Like, no shit. shit. Yeah. And was it a thing where you took your like a little um, you know, personal record player? Did no. they have a thing that you could s- listen to it in the store? They only had a player in the store with a dollar sale. You couldn't buy You know, You couldn't listen to shit. You just had but to dude, guess. But those dollar sales, like I still have those records. Like Leon Thomas, I found out a dollar sale. Love out here uh, i found uh miles davis uh fuck what's his name? rated x yeah and when i brought it up to the counter the dude just flipped like who the fuck let this go out there like yeah that was back when you could find amazing things at a dollar sale you know it sounds like some old man shit but even back then i was hearing stories of like shit you could find these for a quarter you know four years ago (laughs) but uh that's funny yeah so rhino westwood um aaron's records that was the spot aaron's records man fuck I miss that spot. Record surplus because they had listening stations. And was there like a subculture of other DJs that you were seeing in a small circle? Like oh, you would yeah, run dude. into, you know what I mean? Yeah, like who were the guys you were running into? To be honest, you would always see other guys, you know, if you see a dude in a hat and baggy jeans, yeah. with like old guy records, on, yeah. you know, he's doing some shit. Right. But you would never, because back then it was really secretive. I was going to say, like, it's not like, oh, hey man, how's hunting dude, going? It's probably are, like, fuck you, don't look at what I have. Kids are so, don't even know how fucking easy. Oh, you want my my snare pack? I'll fucking DM it to right, you. Right, right. Oh, 80 bucks and I'll give you all the drums dude, I collected. fuck that. Back then, you even look at some guy's shit. He's like, what the fuck are you looking at? Yeah. Dude? Sorry, dude. Yeah. That's my snare, bitch. And then he throws a ninja star at you. <laughs> it was it was funny. But it was like that. It was secretive. No one wanted to share. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. It was competitive, and and then I met Carlos Nino, and he took me to the Pasadena record swap, and that was when my shit changed again. I just became about finding, like, you know, the sickest of the sick shit. Yeah. When do you start DJing out? Uh, that was right when Soulmates dropped because I had to promote the record. I wasn't even a DJ first. What year was that? That was 2000. So that was 2000. So, um, That's fucking petrified, So by the, by the time you start working with CVE and all of the dudes in The Blowed, like, you saw those guys and were like, okay, I'm just going to make beats. I'm not going to rap no more. Is that kind of how it was? Yeah, or? pretty much. Yeah, I'm not trying to be like, cool. I'm going to, hey, LA, cool. Let me rap after you after you just yeah. fucking annihilated the track. And you know what? I, it's funny because I always say, like, the moment that I really quit freestyling was when I met james and all all the dudes in the, uh, like no can and all them dudes like yeah. when i saw those guys freestyle i was like oh that's like world class and yeah. i don't do that i'm like oh, yeah. i'm gonna just stick to writing because like i can't do what they it do. was done and i just yeah. got way more into wanting to do the beats and then we you know once i started making the instrumental shit i became more about that yeah so then you had to teach yourself how to dj out and about or what yeah pretty much because that this was before like ain't nobody using ableton back then no, ain't, ain't nobody fucking using Dude. cdj so you had to learn how to use two turntables yeah and the first gig i did with this was at this place called 111 minna and they used to have the turntables dangling from the ceiling uh-huh so you know it swayed as it 
it Whoa. as you play. Dude, it was a nightmare, man. That sounds horrible. Yeah. And I was like really, you know, like, I want to play this kind of shit. So I would play like, I'd just drop like a avant-garde jazz song in uh-huh. the middle of a set and just didn't care if people got pissed off. And would they get pissed off? or would they No, be sometimes like, oh, it would work. It just depended on what time of the night it was and yeah. how you set it up, you know. But I really, to be honest, man, like I really feel like I didn't even get like uh a hang of it until like the beginning of low end you know like yeah. i was train wrecking up until 2005 like fuck, no I shit hate my life really yeah this shit's hard man. How, when you're <laughs> when you're out promoting your record how are you playing your music you had 12 inches of it well back then it was strange because at first i was just doing dj gigs because that was before serato even existed yeah that was yeah it was, so i was just doing like the some of my songs off of the records that ubiquity had pressed because i was signing ubiquity at that point uh-huh and then I actually did a live version of those songs uh-huh. a few times where it was myself. I had my sampler with most of the samples. I also had a record player set up because like some of the songs just had like flutes from other records playing the whole time. Uh-huh. And then um, we also had, I think, a dat tape. Oh, no, no. It was a CD of like the drums. And then I had a friend play bass. Another friend, uh, Damon Aaron, played guitar. And uh, our, my friend Marcos played bass. So it was like this weird electronic band. Yeah. But like, see, on some other shit with people, you always hear interviews, I did that shit before anybody else. I'm not saying I did that shit before anybody else, but back then, seeing a motherfucker press play on a CD and play on top of it was very fucking strange. Yeah. But we were able to play some pretty good shows. Um, the record release party was actually pretty awesome. And then the Mars Volta took me on tour in 2002 and we did that same set where we were doing the live nobody shit to this day i'm still like how the fuck did we do that how did you meet mars volta that was through my friend ike him and i started working together around 2001 yeah and he was like you know we were looking for someone to open for this new band that we started called the mars volta and i played them soulmates and they want you to open and i said that's impossible because i don't yeah. do those songs anymore that record's almost 2 years old i don't even play that i don't even play those kind of shows anymore yeah and then like you know a month went by and he was like dude like they really want you to do it you should just do it yeah i was like yeah i guess i just fucking do it so i got the guys back together and we started doing we did like three or four shows with them and what were doing you, those what were you songs. doing in the band i was just triggering the samples okay, and yeah. running everything through a mixer and affecting it okay okay that does sound pretty forward thinking. It was weird, time. man. I, I had never. I don't think in two thousand two I had ever seen that. Just because ubiquity was like you have to figure out some way to stand on the stage and do your songs. So right. They don't give a fuck, you know what it is. Right. And until that point, the only other person I'd seen kind of do something similar was when uh, DJ, going back to DJ Hive, he did this thing where he had his ADAT set up and he pretty much mixed the songs live. Uh, pretty interesting. But yeah. I didn't have ADATs. I couldn't do all that shit. So I just figured we'd do it that way. So from 2000, when the record comes out to 2002, you say, oh, I haven't been playing these songs. Like, what kind of shows were you playing at that point? Because the way, when we talked to GLK, the way that he made it sound was like when he started, um, you know, when he was like 16 and driving to LA to do like weird fucking electronic shows or whatever he was doing, you were there like the OG of the scene already. Oh, yeah. He's probably talking about when we would do these because I was also part of KXLU, that it, the radio station oh, yeah, Loyola yeah, yeah. Marymount. That's another piece of the puzzle. Is that where you went to school at? Yeah. And I, actually, that's when I kind of started DJing a lot, too. My friend Jose was doing a night called Version. And I would, I guess I cut my teeth there, too, man. That shit was tough. So you went to Loyola Marymount. What did you uh, study there? Recording arts. Oh, okay. Much to the, to the chagrin of my dad. Really? What did he want you to do? <laughs> Anything else. He's like, be a CPA, bro. <laughs> That's the thing is, he didn't give me any alternatives, so I just yeah. ended up doing that. Huh, no but, shit. Um, and so, yeah, we would do these, you know, bugged out parties and and just, yeah, play like... You fucking, had your own radio show? 
Uh, I did. I had a daytime show from 96 to 99, and then I had a psychedelic 60s radio show from 2000 to 2009. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know you were all the way up there until 2009. Mm-hmm. I, that was, yeah, I just quit then. No shit, man. Mm-hmm. So you start throwing parties at, at Loyola Marymount, and what are they about? No, it was with Jose, and we would throw them actually in Mid-City Oh, okay. at this place that my, my friend ran. Then immediately after that, you know, got down with Dub Lab, and uh, we did a lot of Dub Lab parties. That might be where GLK saw me a lot, too. Mm. And that's when we started really bugging out, because that's when Carlos was into the, in, in the equation, and Jose was in the equation, and Jimmy Dintel and Daedalus. Like, that's when everyone first met. Right. And so, like, now it's like, fuck, everyone's into sick shit. So we were just, like, at parties just trying to drop, you know, heat all the time. And how was your DJing at that point? Um, I wasn't really doing the beats thing. I was just still drop, trying to drop like, you know, crazy far out psych records and, yeah. and just trying to yeah do that. Did that become like your signature sound? Were you yeah, that the was psych like, dude? that was like the next like game changer was when I got into 60 shit. I was just at, you know, KXLU and there were these guys there that were just into all this obscure 60s shit, you know, and you're at first, you know, to your ear, it just sounds very Beatlesque. It's yeah. all four-part harmonies. It's all pretty yeah. straightforward. But, but then you start hearing once some crazy you crack break that, beats too. Yeah, well, once you, and also once you crack that, and you actually get to listen to like the nuances between, and you, it just it just blows your fucking mind. Yeah, yeah and the beats were always a bonus because you'd buy a psych record, and then not even knowing, like, damn, this part right here. Yeah, and then I just started finding sick ass shit, you know, and just that became my sets where I'm like, I'm just gonna blow motherfuckers away with this yeah. shit. And actually, Shadow had me play Brain Freeze in 2000. It was one of the most, like, uh, I was so terrified to play that show, man. What was that about? Brain Freeze was the show where him and Cut Chemist, oh, wait, you know what? They might have had me do the second one. They didn't have me do Brain Freeze. I was still, like, not even, like, fucking with records major yet. The second one was called, what the fuck was Brain Freeze 2? No. <laughs> Oh, 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 it was called Product Placement. Yeah. And that was this, these mixes that they both did that uh, were 45s only. So they had me open on the Product Placement show in L.A., so I had to do just a 45 set, and I, it was, I was going to do just Psych 45s. Uh-huh. And it was fucking awesome. That's right. <laughs> and, dude, I remember dropping this one Time Machine 45, and Shadow crept up to the stage, and I was like, what? It, he he was wants like, to know what this is? That's like, this dope. This is just my shit. Yeah, that's dope. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, that stuff, like, you know, really sent me on a whole new direction. Cause even after like, just, you know, kind of fell out of touch with the project blow guys and not really working on as much rap stuff and, um, wanting to switch my sound up for the next record. I got more into the psych stuff and more indie stuff and more like electronic stuff. So at that point, what, how does the music process start to switch up? Like you're like, Oh, I want to make a more psych sound. Yeah. So, I so just, what do you start doing? I figured that I would cover for songs to learn how to like create that kind of shit did you like pick you up know? a guitar around that time or? yeah yeah yep. i started learning the guitar around that time too and you know just trying to learn how songs are structured and the first song i did for pacific drift was the monkeys cover that i did with my friend chris uh-huh. who was in this band called beachwood sparks and that was like the template for the whole record you know i got such a good response just from that one song that like and so what are you doing? Using drum breaks? Still using all samples, yeah. but kind of just, you know... Freaking them to sound like rock songs. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, there was a lot of electronic sounding stuff on that record too, but I think I found, like, you know, a tone that was in key with the Monkey song and just kind of reconstructed it. Yeah, yeah. And my friend, luckily, was just able to follow it, yeah. although it was not perfectly in key or whatever. You know, right. He did a good job on that song, and, 
Yeah, I mean, still looking back on it now, I was just still trying to figure shit out. When did you pick up the DJ part of DJ Nobody? That just kind of came with it. It just people happened. People just kept calling me that. You but know? you don't have any, like, you never, like, classically trained yourself in turntablism or anything, right? Oh, no. Yeah. No. I still, like, I make mistakes all the time. Really? <laughs> That's cool. I don't notice them. <laughs> I think you sound good, buddy. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. So when did you meet Kev? I actually met Kev recording Soulmates. That was the first time I met him. So like in 99, 2000 That was like 99, yep. yeah. Um, I was going to record this song with Abstract Rude called Inner Eye. Because Kev was kind of running in the same circles and making beats for a lot of those dudes too, right? Yeah, he... You guys were probably working like with Bus Driver and Fools like that at the same time. Yeah, him and DJ Hive started Celestial Records, mm-hmm. and they actually re-released Omid's Beneath the Surface compilation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was like extended family. For, like, stuff that's just not even worth getting into, there was, like, this ancient, ancient, ancient beef between, like, parties that aren't even around the music scene anymore that kind of, like, seriously made it almost, like, two camps. But I didn't participate in it. But I was just just always aware, like, there's we're not as tight as we should be. Right. But I met Kev at this session. Mad cool. Never really worked with him again, though, you know, and then just I DJed Concrete Jungle twice. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, but I was never really in a drum and bass, so mm-hmm. it just didn't really, you know, grab me. Where did me. you spin there, though? Did you play The back them? room was hip-hop, oh, okay. so they had me back there. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was Edit running that room? Or who was running that yep, room? Yep, yep. It was Edit and, and Kev and the, and the Fellowship guys. It was crazy, yeah. And then, you know, never really even... Nothing... We, yeah, we didn't really collaborate or do anything for a long time. And then around 06, Bus Driver hit me up to do his record... Um, Overcoat? Oh, yeah. Roadkill Overcoat. Yeah, Roadkill Overcoat. And Kev... My favorite bus driver song is one that you produced. Uh, Chocolate Eye Wins. Chocolate I Wins. Thank you. That's James's favorite. No Can Do's favorite. I love that song. I love <laughs> Thanks, that man. song. Yeah, yeah. A yeah killer was, beat, too. Thank you. Yeah, most that, that came together really nice. Yeah, and so Kev was mixing that record. Uh-huh. And uh, that's, that's when we, like, reconnected. And that was it. He just kept talking to me about music. Um, for like a whole year, like we stayed in contact post the bus driver record. And it was funny because now that I look back on it, I remember telling Reagan, like, I want to re-record all these because I don't even, you know, Kev would bus all of his stuff, which I didn't even like, it's a pro tools thing, but I didn't even get conscious of that till like him lately, you know? And so I wonder, I'm pretty sure back then he was like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? Like, he just let the way I record shit. I'm going to go talk to this motherfucker. But then we ended up becoming like friends and, the initial idea was for us to start this, uh, you know, like pump up the volume, like a shortwave radio station or something, you know, because we were just sick of the radio or whatever. And then him, GLK, and I took this trip to San Francisco with Andy Votel. We all played this big show together. Yeah. And Kev was doing another show across the city with AWOL or something. And then he hit me up the following week like, dude, I think we should start a night instead of doing the radio thing like fuck doing the short radio thing if we get popped we can get fined could you do it in your daddy kevin impersonation because you have the best daddy kev you know what we should do baby (laughs) (laughs) and no and so uh (laughs) sorry go ahead and so (laughs) and so i was like yeah you're right let's just not do the radio station idea let's let's run with the night and he took me to the airliner or I, i met him at the airliner and I remember, man, I fucking, I still laugh when I think about it because he met me at the bar and I thought that just the bar. That was it, yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, like faking it like, this place is really cool, man. <laughs> and he just looks at me, he's like, it's not even it, baby. 
And so it took me to the back. And because yeah, if you guys dude. have never been to Lowen, when you walk in, it just looks like this little dive, and then you <laughs> yeah. walk, and then you walk out back, and there's this huge stage area, and then if you walk upstairs, there's another stage area. So yeah, so he took me to the back and was like, "Fuck." Yeah. And so we started it. Um, <laughs> it was cool, man. Because to be honest, like Kuma, my good friend who's now in the UK, like him and I, I just feel like we were like. We wanted something to happen. Like we just wanted there to be a night yeah. where people actually wanted to hear what we were doing. Because yeah. I liked what he did, he liked what I did. You know, then we eventually attract like all these other guys, like Ross G and Flying Lotus and DiBiase. They started hanging out at the little temple when Kutmo was doing sketchbook and we were just like man and that fuck. became i've slowly been piecing together all the puzzles from so many different people that are involved in the beat scene about like how the shit started mm-hmm. a lot of the beat scene dudes were just out there every whatever night of the week that was you said tuesday tuesday night and like dibiase would mm-hmm. be there just playing beats out of a fucking boombox boom outside we'd smoke weed out there and- who else Kuma was playing, um, fuck, what was the other guy's name? Shit, I always fuck this up. Um, Orlando, mm-hmm. Take, myself, sometimes. Ross G did his first sets there, I believe. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Flying Lotus might have done an early set there that was like half DJ and. And half this is what, this was just was basically an early version of low end. Pretty much. I mean, it was just a bunch of us, you know, like we would DJ <clears throat> the same type of records that we did. At early low end, like you know, prefuse and and Daubery and lots of Dilla beats and instrumentals, and I would play some Neptune's instrumentals and blah 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 blah, and then uh, you know, then we started playing each other's beats and shit, mm-hmm. and yeah, then would it stopped. Crowd, would crowds show up? No, nah, man, it was just like all the producer guys and like all the girls from Aaron's and Aaron's what what's Aaron's Aaron? records. Oh, okay, it would okay. Just be all those girls and we'd be chilling. So would Gaslamp be showing up to that? You know, he might have at some point, but I think he was going to a lot of the dub lab parties and a lot of the just bugged out parties we throw back then. That was like When's us. When's the first time you met him, though? The very first time I met him was in San Diego uh, in, like, I think 1999. Uh-huh. He came to uh, a show I was doing at a yoga retreat center that Omid was living in at the time. Uh-huh. Um, and I had, you know, like five copies of my 12-inch that was called Earth Tones. And he showed up, you know, he had really long dreadlocks. And he's like, you know, I came to buy your 12-inch, and, you know, I only had, like, five copies. I had no idea how we found out. I guess yeah. he talked to some friend who knew that we were doing a show there. And my girlfriend at the time, she lived there for about four years. So I would constantly see him at all the record uh, conventions and record stores and stuff. Uh-huh. And then, you know, uh, once he moved to L.A., I would see him uh, around more often. And the Art Don't Sleep crew would put him and I together to just play psych records. And mm. we started doing these sets together that were just, you know, all psych yeah you know, fucking battles and did you already know james at that point no he came into the equation through kev too i had met james a few times we didn't really like each other when we first really? met yeah. why i don't know we just didn't because you guys are like besties <laughs> yeah now we're like best friends but that's yeah. how it is with some of my best friends we just didn't get along at first why what you was know? your first impression i know i think we were both like oh he doesn't know who i am <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that was great you know dude i i really think that like Part of the way the things worked is the fact that we all, quote unquote, didn't get along. I mean, we all got along. We didn't hate each other. But Ed was from a completely different background. Yeah. Played completely different music. I had never heard dubstep in my life. And Uh I heard him play it like in 06 Uh when it was happening in the UK. We wouldn't even start playing it at the clubs like three years later. Uh You know, he was just way into future shit. Gaslamp at the time was just into like 
uh, Ninja Tune, Moax beats along with heavy psych shit and Turkish rock. And I was doing like my like Neptune's Dilla instrumentals and, you know, along with the sketchbook stuff. And then once in a while I dropped some psych and Kev was just mostly playing like, you know, lots of hip hop and underground Uh stuff. And I think the reason like like none of that shit even went together at first is why it worked. Because yeah. when, when eventually they all did, yeah. it created like that fusion of everything, you know? Yeah. And at the time, you had long hair. Mm-hmm. That was my... Uh, you had flare jeans. Flare jeans, dude. You had like rayon shirts. Anything with flowers. Flowers. I had sandals. Man, one time I was getting into a fight with a security guard and some kid walked by and goes, you ain't gonna fuck anyone up with those sandals, DJ Nobody. <laughs> I was like, man, fuck these kids. That's on point, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, are you going to fucking throw a chocolate at yeah, somebody? Like, like fuck, fuck you, moms. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man. But it's funny because I've watched you, like, slowly transmorph over the years. Like, because mm-hmm. it's I've like, always been like that, man. I'm always, like, morphing myself. Yeah, you know? why? I just get tired of, like, you know, being one thing. You yeah. know, and, like... I don't know. I was so about that for so long, but I knew at some point I wasn't going to look like that all my life. You know? Yeah, and yeah. It, I mean, you were really out here looking like a fucking a Mexican hippie from the 70s, yeah. dog. Yeah, it really scared the shit out of some people sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. And then, <laughs> and then you started a band. Yeah, I started Blank Blue with uh, some friends of mine, and we did that for about three years. I was like, man, Elvin is really out here feeling himself, because like, he's like, <laughs> fuck DJing, dog. I'm a rock star yep. now. Like, You were standing on the front of the stage playing guitar, and mm-hmm. I'm like, this shit is crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was fun, man. I loved playing guitar. I still do. Yeah. How did Blank Blue go? How did it come about? That was just from the record that I was doing you know, post-Pacific uh, Drift, and I did... Um, another record called And Everything Else that was just kind of more like beat stuff. Yeah. And then the first record I collabed with with my friend Chris, who was on that Porpoise song that we talked about earlier, we did a whole record called Tree Colored Sea where he wrote, you know, the vocals and some of the music and I did the beats and some of the music. And after that record, I wanted to do my own record where I did all the music and I found a singer to mm-hmm. sing on top of it. And at at that point, I was working with my friend Nikki at this record shop. So... Um, I approached her to sing on the record, and then from that record, that eventually morphed into a band mm-hmm. with my friend Andres playing drums and my friend Brian playing uh, bass. Nice. Did you guys tour that at all? We did. We did one tour before we added uh, Brian because in the beginning we were kind of half electronic and half live, mm-hmm. and then once we brought on Brian on bass, we just stopped using tracks and just became a live band, live band. Nice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when was the transition into the like loadout? <laughs> you know like that's probably like late 2011 i was just literally man i just was sick of it i was just sick of having fucking hair down in my yeah. shoulders and yeah wearing... the hair is growing back out but for a while you had like the caesar you had like the puerto rican caesar yeah going on. it was long as fuck and you know wearing you know flare jeans every fucking day and i was like man i just want to switch my shit up yeah and I, you know what to be honest i don't know how the polo thing happened it just happened i just like one day uh, my girlfriend at the time was her birthday and i was like you know what i'm gonna buy a polo uh, a sweater to yeah. go on top of this purple shirt. Yeah. And I went down to Macy's and I, and I bought it. And, you know, once you like put it on, you're like, damn. This shit and that was it. Tight. It was pretty much over. I was like, I'm just going to rock polo and, uh, and that's going to be my how, new shit. How did you get deeper and deeper into the polo game? Just because so- once I started researching that there's an actual culture behind it, just like anything that happens to a collector. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you just kind of stumble on something and then you're like, there's an actual culture behind this shit. I mean, I kind of knew a little bit about it just because, you know, I've seen Taz around and I'm like, that motherfucker like just wears all that shit. You yeah. Know? So I knew that there was, you know, a polo 
culture, but I didn't know how deep it was. And then when I started researching it, I was like, damn. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just like the record thing. Like, you can find old shit. If you're diligent, you can score, you know, rare pieces. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, like a like, network. You have to build a network of friends, you know? Yeah. So it's like Thurston Howland the Third and Just Blaze, like your idols. Oh, my now, God. But... Just Blaze, man. That dude, shit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thurston. Yeah. But that shit is just like. You know, I could never aspire to that level. I just don't have the time and money. Right, right. <laughs> Those guys are like super loaded out. Oh yeah, but they were they were copping that though when you know it was actually coming out. Right, right. Mm-hmm. When did the taste shift into like the modern DJ nobody that I know that loves Drake and Ratchet Records <laughs> and shit like that? Well, I feel like it it comes from like way back, you know, the sketchbook days because. I was pushing a lot of those Neptune's beats and a lot of those Timberland beats along with the Dilla beats. Yeah. I thought that those beats were just as genius. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just was rocking those instrumentals as much as anything else, you know, and it would be funny when people would be like, what is this? And they'd look at the label and it says like Babyface or, yeah. or Usher. And they're like, fuck, or Diddy. That would yeah. really fuck them well, up. Well, like one of the records that I remember being um, that crossed over big into the into the weird beat and indie hip hop scene was um grinding well beyond grinding holla back girl oh yeah like that fucking beat was crazy Mm -hmm. it was that a pharrell beat i think so yep yeah like that was a crazy ass beat and he just had he had gwen stefani like rapping over it basically but that beat was you took her vocals off of it and it was like really an alternative beat yeah i mean a lot of those like grinding you know there's like four sounds happening at the most and you just never heard anything like that right so stripped down Uh, so so stripped down yeah you know and then um, what happened to that boy? That, yeah. that song with Birdman. Yeah. I loved playing the shit out of that song, and I remember uh, Dusk was like, "Yo, what is that one song you play? You know, with that gnarly eight oh eight at the end of the of the bars." Mm-hmm. So I'm like, "Oh, dude, that's that's." And he's like, "Cash Money, what?" Yeah, and you know, and that and that was another record that kind of crossed over into like, you know, like people who played real hip hop. Yeah, played that record. Right, you know? right, right. And so like. I just remember there was a time. Oh, and I remember one of the earliest joints too was uh, when Newmark dropped uh, Roots Maneuver. Oh yeah, dude, that was just like over. You know, that was kind of like another key to the beat scene. Yeah, um, I used to use that beat in my set. Yeah, that's yeah, a great that was one. A crazy beat. Yeah, but I just feel like I always had um, a weakness or an ear for like, and because of the Neptunes and Timberland, I just liked pop shit. You yeah. Know? And what's funny is like. I, I got to see Justin Timberlake go from like the most hated oh, yeah. white boy boy band motherfucker. Yeah. And you, you saw Timberland and ne- the Neptunes. That's when I realized the power of their production. Yeah. If they can turn that guy into like a legitimate artist, yeah. like those guys can really make records. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And motherfuckers front, you know, like, oh, I like that. No, no one liked that motherfucker until that record. Yeah. You know no one like, people hated Insane. Oh, dude. They, you know, they hated. They hated that shit. It was the worst thing you could, you know, could be around. It was I the hate- male space, spice girl. I hated NSYNC. I love Justin Timberlake. That's what I'm saying. And if it wasn't for those guys, like he probably wouldn't be that type of artist now. No, so I was always banging for 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 the Neptunes and Timberland. And then um transition to low end theory, you know, we're playing a lot of beat stuff. Um and you know, dude, like I say, that's why I switched up the way I looked. I just get bored of shit, you know, and then like once I just kind of got bored of what we were being known for, which is all this beat stuff, I kind of graduated more towards mainstream shit, mostly because of a milli, you know, like oh, yeah. if I'm bored as fuck of everything I'm hearing and then I hear a milli and that shit just like blows my mind into next year. I'm like, 
all right, there's something going on here. I kind of need to see what's and going it's on. The, there. the funny thing is, I remember when Amelie dropped, and how many people were like, "Oh, fuck, little like the backpackers, fuck, little way," and that's not really mm-hmm. hip hop. But I'm like, hey, you show me another rapper that's fucking rapping this crazily over beat like over that. this forward thinking of a beat, yeah. and tell me that this shit isn't fucking alternative hip hop. Yeah, like that shit was alt hip hop. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so after that, you know, I downloaded uh, Wayne mixtapes. I downloaded. Um, Dedication. So far gone. Oh yeah, so far gone. Uh, the drip for you know that Drake mixtape. Yeah, and and then it was just over, dude. I just got all into that, and I just started playing a lot of that stuff because I love the production behind yeah. it. Yeah, you know, it was really musical. And that's kind of where I'm still at now. Yeah, because James uh, put it to me once. He's like, man, Elvin scours live mixtapes like a 15-year-old in Ladera. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he's up on all the brand new shit. Yeah, well, what I try to do, you know, when I get into something like that, I just feel like uh, you just can't be dismissive of things just because it's pop or because it's quote-unquote ignorant. Like, the fact that someone sat in the studio or a few guys sat in the studio for a night, I mean, it's unfortunate that they're saying, like, you know my watch my watch yeah. but whatever i don't know there it, it it just things have changed you know i was trying to explain to two max one time two max was like yo man like you really like this shit you know every word of it like yeah. one of my old records yeah and i was like dude it's the same thing wiz khalifa is just trying to talk about his stuff better than anyone else yeah yeah and then you know he finally got it he was like okay they're just talking about their stuff yeah but you know it's still done with skill you know i just got really into it and you know shit just yeah it's fun you know and the girls like it <laughs> the girls do like it did you ever have aspirations of like blowing up or fucking you know i i look at it like I, th- I feel like you're like the lowest key member of uh like you keep it low key i don't mean the lo- you're not the lowest of the <laughs> but i'm saying like you're the most low-key member of the low and theory crew meaning like you're just kind of there kicking it chilling having fun getting high and playing mm-hmm. records like did you ever have high aspirations of like man i want to fucking like be a festival act and tour the world on this shit in terms of that, no. I mean, I would love to produce a Drake record. And on that side, yes, I would love to produce for mainstream acts. Yeah. Just because I love the music, I think I can write, you know, that kind of stuff with mm-hmm. people like that. Um, but being a DJ, like, that can tour and... Nah, dude. I mean, I, I like I like staying at home, I've decided. Like, after doing You're like this a studio for, rat, kind Yeah, of. for doing this this long... I know that the thing, the side that I like about it is just being creative yeah. in the studio, going out and touring. I just miss home too much, you yeah. know? And, uh, yeah, you know. Do you ever try to get your stuff into the hands of people? Because it's crazy. I just like, signed not, a like, publishing deal, or not a publishing, like a, an, a publisher to help administrate beats. But to be honest, I haven't solicited a, a bunch of beats yet. Just because, I mean, I still think I'm kind of like, in the two years in the bedroom stage with that, where I just kind of want to formulate as much shit as I can before yep. I really try to dive into that. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's so crazy to be watching all the kids that came up under you guys now, like, big acts reaching mm-hmm. out to them. I mean, you look at oh, like, yeah, there's the, people that the we, we Did It crew and, and Team mm-hmm. Supreme shit, which you were involved with, uh, like... Those guys are getting like big placements, mm-hmm. you know. Shlomo is getting huge placements, mm-hmm. and like that's a dude that I just used to see come to watch you guys. Yeah, I mean that's you know it's a good thing. It's it's yeah. good to be part of something that inspires, and I really feel like beyond blowing up or whatever, like that's my role in in the world. You know, like my, that's the part I play in the scene is because I have no problem finding someone who's awesome, helping them put on, and just like then have them just do whatever the fuck they want. You know. Yeah. Like, it's more rewarding to see more kids just take the music further and further out than just being uh, 
upset that I couldn't do it myself. Right. You know, it's like, man, fuck yeah. If I didn't, if I, if we didn't meet John Wayne, yeah. like who the fuck would have made Andrew and who would have made all those amazing beats or they'd just be sitting in his hard drive in La Habra. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, if I was yeah. all bitter, like that kid's sick. I'm going to hate on that motherfucker. Yeah. But no, it's like, no, nah, dude, like we need to get you out here because you're the shit. You know right. I mean? And that's just like part of being, you know, I guess like beyond being a DJ, just like a tastemaker. You know yeah. what I mean? What's the next fucking big song to blow from the hood scene? <laughs> what the, from Who's the, the next scene? artist? What have I been listening? Oh, you know, everyone's on that one, dude. Is it Young? Young Thug? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Young Thug is huge for sure. He's blowing up. Stoner. You know what? Oh, this is my new theory about um, where to find what's really cracking in rap music. What is it? Vine. Be- because all of the funniest videos are all like put to whatever is the most, the most cracking, cracking song, song. Yeah. so it's like it was fuck that bitch or it was stoner or it was the, the yg song mm-hmm. with the title that i can't say you know what i mean like i love that song the same and i wish i could sing along but like so like I-, I always feel like vine is where to shop for what's going to be cracking in the hood next you yeah. know what i mean yeah, for sure but yeah what are you working on now uh, right now I'm just, uh, formulating ideas for the next, uh, nobody record. I just finished producing a rap record for Flaco, Flaco Siete. Oh yeah. And so we're getting that re- ready. I just helped, uh, No Can Do wrapped up, wrap up his record. I have like one or two beats on there, but I just had more of like a executive role on that. Right, record. right. Yeah. That's another thing. Like I have like with James, I wish I had more beats on that record, yeah. but I'm just as stoked that i helped him find certain beats that became right. fucking sick songs right you know did, what I mean? did you help him find little green monsters no that was all him but never looked better oh yeah i was one. when i heard that beat i was like dude you have to rap on this yeah beat, yeah you know that's dope yeah i think that's like you just got to know your strengths and be like all right maybe just right now i'm not going to make those kind of beats but i can find them and yeah. put them together with the yeah, right person you know the ear for it yeah for sure well yeah man i appreciate you coming in uh thanks for having me yeah it was dope uh, thanks I, for photographing my shoes Oh yeah, I've been helping over on Instagram because he can't. We met here yesterday. I was dropping off the mixes to my record to Kev, and I see him like setting his shoes up on a podium, and, I, and I'm like, "Oh wait, I have my camera light here. Like, why don't we use that instead of your camera flash?" And he's like, "Oh my god, cuz this is the best fucking two thousand. He said, "This is the best shoe photograph I ever taken." And I was like, "Hey, you want to come in and do a podcast more?" He's like, "Yeah, can I bring more shoes?" <laughs> <laughs> can I bring more shoes? And I had two pairs. And he did, and they looked good. And I and I was like, you know, this is what I, this is how I actually make money is lighting things like this. Jeez. So whenever you need a fucking photo assistant for your Instagram, just holler at your boy. All right, man. Where can the people find you online? Uh, Twitter.com slash DJ Nobody. My current name is Bars Volta. Bars Volta. Instagram, Nobody Beats. SoundCloud. I think that's nobody beats too. Yeah. Shit, I don't even know. I'm the worst at promoting myself. It's okay, man. Just going to low in theory on Wednesdays and you can go, you're Googleable. Yeah, definitely. If you Google DJ Nobody, his shit will pop up. Mm-hmm. He's been doing mm-hmm. a long time, fucking OG in the game, trying, but trying. still acting like a young motherfucker, <laughs> like really out here in this shoe game with you this low gear. Y'all got the kid that sold me the shoes yesterday could have been my son. Oh, oh really? Yeah, him and his friend must have been like, "Holy shit, that dude was old." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that's funny. Oh, um, fuck, it was hilarious. But yeah, so this is the awkward part where I start doing all my social media stuff and you'll get bored. But uh, my name is Lee. You guys might know me as Intuition, and you can follow me on Twitter at It's Intuition and follow my man behind the board, Ben Shim, making the shit sound buttery at I Am Database, based with two S's. You can follow us as a unit on Twitter at That's Kind of Neat, where we're slowly creeping our way towards a thousand followers. And when we do, I'm going to release naked pictures of Ben on the internet. Uh, but don't tell his mom. You can follow us on Facebook.com slash kind of neat and YouTube.com slash that's kind of neat where you guys should be sure to subscribe and just spend your next Sunday sitting at your computer watching every single video on the channel one more time. I think we're actually at 40 videos for that channel, which is crazy. We're coming up on our year anniversary. I'm just excited that we've been doing this consistently for a year. It's amazing. It's a good feeling. Download the podcast app on your cellular device search for kind of neat subscribe leave a five-star rating comment on it tell me how fucking handsome i am and uh if you don't like itunes fuck with stitcher and of course everything wrapped up in a pretty package on kind of neat.net my name is lee the gentleman sitting across from me is elvin estella who you guys might know as dj nobody and this was kind of neat mm-hmm.